The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Third and eight to the running game. Bullock has room, and Iowa first down and touchdown. Iowa takes the lead on a third down run by Damon Bullock. 22 yards. Tom Damon Bullock looked like he was shot out of a cannon off the left side. That's an awesome job at the point of attack. Fedorowicz, the tight end, just pushes out and blocks out on Alan Baxter, and that was the block that springs Bullock into the end zone. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's season-opening win over the Northern Illinois Huskies, and he previews the Iowa State game. This program also features game notes and key stats, plus the weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our three weekly programs this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as a number of Hawkeyes beat reporters and columnists, including the Gazette's Scott Docterman, the Hawkeyes' Susan Dank, and the Quad City Times' Steve Batterson. Next Monday, be sure to check out Brent Balbinot's press box report from the Iowa State game, and also check out tomorrow's release of the Reporter's Notebook, where we review the NIU game and preview Iowa State. The Iowa-Northern Illinois game highlights are courtesy of ESPNU with announcers Tom Hart and John Congemi. A nice job calling this contest. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Mike Meyer from Dubuque, Iowa is on to attempt a 34-yard kick. He hit 70% of his field goals last season. High snap. Kick is true. And Meyer gives Iowa the lead on its opening drive, but a big third down stop by the Huskies of Northern Illinois. Kirk Ferentz's 14th season starts with a 3-0 Hawkeye lead. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Before we visit with Marv this week, let's take a quick look back at some of the key stats and game notes from the NIU game. The Hawkeyes narrowly won their season opener 18-17 over defending MAC champion Northern Illinois in a game played in Soldier Field in Chicago, where Iowa was technically the visiting team, but Hawkeye fans far outnumbered those of the Huskies. The game was the 12th straight season opening win for Iowa, and it snapped a nine-game winning streak for NIU, which at the time had been the longest in the nation. The Hawks had to come from behind late in the fourth quarter with a 23-yard touchdown run from new starter Damon Bullock, which came on the heels of a great pooch punt by John Winky inside the one-yard line, followed by a suffocating defensive stand, forcing NIU to punt deep out of their own end zone. Highlights included stellar running by Bullock, making his first collegiate start. He finished with 150 yards on 30 attempts, and his game-winning TD with 2.15 to go in the fourth quarter was his first career touchdown. The other offensive star for Iowa was place kicker Mike Meyer, who 
who hit on four of five field goals, including a 50-yarder, to keep Iowa in the game. And for an opening game, penalties were really not a factor for either team, and both teams combined for only a single turnover. That was an Iowa recovery of an NIU fumble. And very importantly, the Hawkeyes came out of this contest with no serious injuries. Also of note in this game, the notoriously bad Soldier Field turf created issues throughout the game. What an embarrassment for the city of Chicago, and it's the worst turf in the NFL. Key stats, Iowa nearly doubled NIU in first downs, 23-12. Net yards rushing for the Hawks was only 139, but that included 60 yards in losses, most of those due to the six sacks of quarterback James Vandenberg, who passed for 129 yards, 21 of 33. The average per attempt, however, for Vandenberg was only 3.9. The average per completion, 6.1. They only went vertical, throwing downfield once. Total offensive yards, 268 for the Hawks, 201 for Northern Illinois. Possession time was overwhelmingly in Iowa's favor, an important stat for the Hawks, not so much for the Huskies, 38-42 to 21-18. Third down conversions, Iowa had 8 of 18, Northern Illinois 6 of 15. Red zone, the Hawks were there four times, scored three all-field goals, not a single touchdown in the red zone. Northern Illinois was 2 of 2. Great story, compelling and rich. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's season opening win over Northern Illinois, and he previews Iowa State. Well, Marv, it was interesting, if not somewhat frustrating, as a first game, an opening game win, but both some unexpected disappointments and some pleasant surprises. What was your overall reaction? Great to get a victory. You know, obviously, first and foremost, that's that's the key in college football is just to win on Saturdays and, and then add them up at the end and see if you get to play another game. And, and, and a win's a win, as ugly as it may have been at times and, and as, as well as some things went at times to, to get the win. Great thing is you can go back and look at it and it's a way to, when you're practicing for three weeks against each other, you kind of think you know where you're at, but then you actually get to see it against on film against another team, and then you kind of really know where you need to tighten things down. And I think that's the greatest thing about this is they're, they're going to be able to look at a lot of things, learn from their mistakes, clean them up before next week, and hopefully be better. Offensively, with the, all of the changes in the coaching staff, a lot of people were expecting to at least some see some significant change. And you did see a lot of formations and different looks, probably way more than we have in the past, but the actual play calling itself ended up being very conservative last year. Saturday and in many respects didn't look that much different than the past. You know, it is a work in progress. I, I know the, the hardest part that they're going to have with the process is the terminology. Uh, and I think they have completely changed things around, you know, as far as formations and the play call it's actually they're they're different they're they're complete opposites so but but ultimately it's the same play i mean they just got to learn to to assimilate what was called something else is now something else but it's still about execution and and trying to get those things done so the the protection the pass protection wasn't near where it needs to be Uh, obviously those got to be cleaned up and and like i said it was it was ugly at times ugly but uh, ultimately they got the win can you talk a little bit about as a receiver as an actual offensive player in o'keefe's system the receiver Receivers are supposed to go to a designated spot, whereas under Greg Davis's system, as at least as it's been described so far, is that both the receivers and the quarterbacks are supposed to make reads and react to those reads. You talk about how different that is for a receiver, especially, or a tight end. Well, I- 
you know, it's it's pass routes are a lot of times it's a feel thing, you know, and it's and, and I kind of get in in kind of the West Coast system. What you're designed to do is is you're supposed to be in a spot at a certain time, and it doesn't matter really how you get there. It's just you need to get there and be in an open position when the quarterback's ready for you to to be there. And I think a lot of times young players, especially, they'll run you know they'll run an out route and it's a ten yard and an out route versus well I've got to leverage the guy that's got me and make sure that I don't lose my outside leverage when I'm running the out route and and so they've got to make sure that they're pressing the right shoulder and and, and, and then breaking out of the, the route and coming back downhill and so it's a feel thing with the quarterbacks and the receivers when you do have that flexibility and that causes some timing problems you know so it, it, that's going to be a work in progress as well and and um, you know we've got some young guys that they don't have a lot of experience in those positions and, and even the tight end is relatively you know from a game experience hasn't played a lot yet so uh, you know he's going to get better and better each each and every day that he goes out on the practice field in the game field so it's going to take it's going to take some time unfortunately and and um, you know good for Iowa they've got a pretty you know a, you know a relatively nice schedule for the first three or four weeks here to kind of try to get their feet on the ground is creating separation for wideouts and tight ends it, it can't all be about speed how much of it is about speed versus technique because that seemed to be uh, an say, issue at the end yesterday speed is, speed is speed is 50 percent of it I mean I, you know I, I think you can't coach speed that's the one thing is as fast as fast but but I mean a lot of it is, is literally like we talk about is is making sure that when you press that guy you're pressing him with leverage that if I'm going to run an out route the last thing I want to do is, is let him get outside position on me because now I got to beat him twice I got to I got to get outside and then cross him cross over him again and get open so I got to make sure that I'm leveraging so when I do get to my top of my route I've got him in a position where one he thinks I can go inside but ultimately I'm leveraged outside that when I break out I'm already physically open just by by being in position on that out route you know but you got to do that in a tactful way if you go if you widen too much he's going to widen with you and and, and you're going to run out of real estate as far as the out route goes so it's a feel thing and ultimately a leverage thing and then a timing thing so you know I'd say 50% of it's speed and then 50% of it is is positioning and then the way you come out of the break, the, the the speed and the quickness with which you come out of the break, the stem you put on the top of the route, and then ultimately, if you're willing to come back downhill towards the quarterback to some extent, that defender cannot undercut that route, and you're going to be more and more open from that standpoint as well. So uh, there's a lot of things that go into it, that's for sure. A lot of talk after last Saturday's game about the downfield passing game or lack thereof. Vandenberg only threw one pass more than 10 yards. How much of that did you think was about play calling versus Vandenberg's execution versus versus NIU's defense and the issues with the receivers that we were just discussing. You know, I, I, I get back to, I think I think a lot of what we do is quick. I mean, they were designed to get the ball out fairly quickly. I thought we did a decent job of, you know, the underneath routes, Derby and, and some of the other stuff. I still, I, 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 want, I like to see our vertical game really get going, you know, the seams and the corners and the, and the, and the post route uh, and really start stressing defenses uh, down the field vertically uh, to, you know, to ultimately then open up those 10 or 15 intermediate routes. So, you know, I think we're solid on the underneath stuff. I think Vandenberg does a good job with that stuff. We, we just need to, like I said, hopefully, like I said, we develop that, that vertical game a little bit more and, and, and really put some pressure on some defenses. But we had protection problems Saturday. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons you want to keep your, your passing game in a quick mode versus a, a, a more vertical, deep pass set type thing. Protection problems, were you seeing more of them in the line or a couple of times it looked like the tight ends got beat pretty badly on the outside? Yes. And, and I mean, it's and that's hard to, a lot of times that's hard to say. It could be a bust, you know, it could have been a slide protection, a back was supposed to come and help. Uh, you know, it, it, a lot of times it's really, truly hard to figure out who made the mistake. You know, all I know is Vandenberg was getting hit a lot early and, you know, he'd plant his back foot ready to throw and he was getting pressure. So that a lot of times that happens early in the season and, 
you know, like I said, the great thing for us is we, we were able to get out of there with a victory. And, you know, at the end of the year, when they look at our schedule for a bowl game, all they're going to see is a victory. They're going to see us 18 to 17 win over a, a max goal. James is a fifth year senior. I think some fans were maybe expecting to see some of his deficiencies that he's shown in the past be improved. But a lot of the game Saturday, it looked like he was having a lot of the same problems. Some happy feet, a little panic in the pocket, albeit there were the protection issues. Having some issue with accuracy or the touch on the ball. What did you see that concerned you and what did you see that pleased you out of his performance Saturday? Well, you know, I think at the end of the day he wins. You know, I mean, he has a knack for, you know, I mean, we had to move the ball. Uh, you know, we're down throughout, you know, the majority of the game and, and, and when we had to do some things, we won the field position battle there late and uh, he was able to get the team and move them down, keep everybody composed enough that they were able to execute and uh, convert on a third and eight and score the touchdown on the runner. It was third and seven or third and eight, I think, and, and we ran off tackle and it bounced to the outside and get the touchdown. So, you know, I mean, it's, that, that says something when you can lead the team and even though it may not have been through the air or whatever else it was, it was just there's enough poise and confidence in that huddle that uh, they were able to, you know, score the last two two times and, 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 and get the lead and get the victory. Back to the change quotient. To me, the most noticeable change Saturday in the offense was the pace, the tempo, but the clock management. You know, we talked in the past a lot about some of the issues that Ken O'Keefe had getting plays in, but boy, last Saturday with Greg Davis up in the booth, plays were typically coming in with 25 seconds or more left on the play clock. In the long run, how much do you think that will help Iowa's offense? And it, doesn't that have to be a big improvement for the quarterback when you when you line up at, with that much time left on the play clock? 100%. Because one, allows you to really get a, take a good look at the defense, really assess what they're doing. It ultimately, gives you also time to see how they're going to adjust once you do come under center. Uh, you know, and if you have two seconds, you're not going to have a chance to get out of the play anyway. So if they're coming down into a, you know, into a zero coverage and it looks like they're going to pressure you, well, if you got 14 seconds, now you can change out. You can get into something else that's going to be a better play for what they're trying to do to you. So that's that's imperative as far as you know being able to get the offense into a good play. And it's you know one of the things about coaching is when you think you're a better team, you want more snaps. You know you want to run more plays. You feel like if you run more plays, you have a better chance to score more points. And so I think you know by having the snaps in early, hopefully Iowa's offense gets more snaps, and and then ultimately that that leads to more victories. That makes me think of the issue of the stats and how meaningful or not different stats are. But, you know, and we talked about this several times last year. Again, last Saturday, Iowa overwhelmingly dominated the time of possession. But with the hurry-up offenses, especially in a game where one team is really hurry-up and the other team is a little more traditional or their tempo is at least a little slower. And that stat increasingly seems to not necessarily be an indicator of a game's outcome. What? How meaningful is that stat anymore? It's a long way of asking that question. For Iowa, it's important. I mean, because Iowa is a team that wants to ground it out. You know, it's it is important that you know we they win that field position or that time of possession battle. I guess the key for Iowa is, is we need to the, the true determining stat should be drives that we have over six or seven plays because that that ultimately is going to determine that we one we change field position two or three we we maybe got some points out of that drive if we had more than six or seven snaps per drive. You know, with the University of Oregon, that throw that out the window. You know, throw the time of possession thing out the window offensively. It's not about that at all. I mean, and, and our style is is time of possession style. It's the New York Giants. You know, it's the let's run the ball and, and, and play action and, and be effective that way. So, you know, so it's important for Iowa in, in, in like a game like that when you know the other team or a team that's going to be up tempo and, and wants to get 120 snaps on you. They're not so much worried about the time of possession. Kirk always talks about the importance of finishing drives, and Iowa really struggled Saturday to put the ball in the end zone, other than the one Bullock run and again. 
again, they were moving the ball up and down the field. What did you see that was creating those issues of actually being able to put the touchdown points on the board? You know, just execution. I mean, just, the, you know, the, the the ability to not be able to protect, you know, Vandenberg and let him get his feet set. I mean, if you're going to put yourself in third and five, third and six, and you to, to the point where you feel like you have to throw the football, you know, you that's tough. It's windy. I mean, batted balls. I mean, that's, that's leaving a lot to, you know, the elements of the game, a drop ball. I mean, all those types of things on third down versus if you're in third and one, you feel like you can run the ball effectively. So, I mean, I just think the ability to, to get in third and short situations kind of really put Iowa in a tough situation. And, and then at some point, you just, you know, you, you got to make a play. You got to make plays uh, to keep drives alive and, you know, to score points. And, you know, we got to find out who our playmaker is going to be. You know, I mean, there's no Tony Moyakis right now. I mean, we think Fedorowicz can be great. Uh, you know, he's not there yet. Uh, you know, who's going to take up for Marvin McNutt's production? Who's going to, you know, be the back that's going to start really, uh, you know, going for 100, 125, 150 yard games? And, you know, that's to be determined. And, and until you, you know, we figure that out, until guys start making plays, you know, the points may be harder to get than uh, they have been in the past. After this week's Big Ten update, Marv talks more. Iowa's defense, special teams, and the Iowa State game. Mike Meyer back out for his third field goal of the day. A 22-yard attempt. He is two for three on the afternoon. And this chip shot is good. Iowa has had six possessions, five times in plus territory, yet they've managed only three field goals. More credit goes to this Northern Illinois defense because they've been doing a great job keeping Iowa out of the end zone, getting taking care of advantages on the offensive side. They still lead by one. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. In our Big Ten update this week, for the second consecutive season, the Big Ten posted a combined record of 10-2 and two in opening games, including a win over a top-25 squad and victories in three road games. Unfortunately, however, for the conference, and probably the biggest game of the weekend, Michigan was smothered by number one-ranked Alabama. Some other games were closer than Big Ten teams would have preferred, including Iowa's squeaker over NIU and Michigan State's home victory over a very good Boise State team. Interestingly, in those opening games, Games, Big Ten defenses and special teams accounted for five touchdowns, two from interceptions, two on fumble recoveries, and one off of a punt return. The second week of non-conference games features a number of tough matchups and rivalries that should lead to some pretty interesting and entertaining football for Big Ten fans. This weekend also marks the return of rivalry trophy games. Of course, Iowa hosts Iowa State in the annual battle for the Cy Hawk Trophy, and Purdue travels to Notre Dame where it will try to reclaim the Shillelagh Trophy. Other games include Nebraska at UCLA, where the Cornhuskers may have to go without their star running back Rex Burkhead. He injured a knee in last week's win over Southern Miss. Wisconsin travels west for a late afternoon game at Oregon State. Interesting in that contest, the fact that the Beavers' opening game was called off because of weather relating to Hurricane Isaac, which also resulted in Badgers coach Brett Bielma refusing to share his team's game film and a Big Ten request that other conference teams do the same. Illinois also travels out west for a late night game against Arizona 
Arizona State. Good luck with that one. And Penn State faces the very real prospect of starting 0-2 when it travels to Virginia. Five Big Ten teams continue to be ranked in the national polls. Michigan State, followed by Wisconsin, Ohio State in the AP poll only, Nebraska, and Michigan. Two additional interesting Big Ten notes this week. Michigan State coach Mark D'Antonio, not known for his sense of humor anyway, took a very dim view of tweets by some of his Spartan players, mocking quarterback Denard Robinson during the Wolverines' loss to Alabama. D'Antonio was quoted as saying that it was disrespectful and his players need to keep their mouths shut. Twitter policies apparently vary widely within the conference. Maybe more coaches need to follow Kirk Ferentz's policy at Iowa, where players are not allowed to tweet during the season. And last this week, Penn State has now spent nearly $17 million so far in the fallout from the Jerry Sandusky scandal, $10 million for internal investigations, $4 million for university legal services and defense, and $1.2 million in other related expenses. And this is a long way from being over, nor does it count the tens of millions in penalties from the NCAA and the Big Ten. You can also be sure there will be a plethora of victim lawsuits before all of this is over and done with. Next, Marv Cook talks defense, special teams, and Iowa State. Overall takeaway on Iowa's defense, definitely improved as the game went along and were really tough in the second half at key moments in that game. Yeah, you know, and you, and you really, you got to like the way they did clamp it down and, 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 and do some good things. I mean, you see things that, man, oh man, quarterback runs, I mean, it's, you don't want to see those types of plays, but you know, that's, uh, you know, Northern Illinois does a good job. They got a good staff. They do a nice job with personnel packages and formations and, and creating, you know, some mismatches and, and ultimately, uh, you know, one of the things they, they want to do is get the ball in the athletic guy's hands and let him make plays, and that's what they were able to do a few times. But ultimately, you know, I thought our defensive line stiffened there late. Uh, the last two or three drives, they came up big with some big big stops for us. And, and ultimately, our back-end coverage was uh, was solid and, 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 you know, for the most part, uh, did a good job of keeping uh, the, the Northern Illinois receivers in check. So uh, a lot of you know, a lot of positives to take from it. You know, it's we're still going to figure out how good Northern Illinois is as a MAC school. I mean, MAC is MAC football is great. Uh, we've seen that in the last five, six years. How the parity has kind of gotten closer to the Big Ten and some of these other conferences, but you know, still yet to be determined just how good Northern Illinois football is. But uh, I think they are pretty solid, and I think it's you know, ultimately we may look back five or six weeks from now and go, that was a good, that was a good solid win for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, real young defensively, the Iowa team is. But anybody in particular impress you last Saturday? You know, I guess going in, I, I didn't have much expectations on the D-line, and I thought it collectively as a whole, they were doing a pretty good job. Uh, you know, they were they were making enough plays up front to, to uh, you know, keep us in the game, and, and especially late when Northern Illinois needed first downs, needed to move the ball, uh, you know, to, to, to eat clock. I mean, if, if they have a couple drives there where if they get three or four first downs, we lose the game, and, and, and they weren't able to do it, you know, especially late in the game, the last two possessions specifically. And, you know, when we pinned them down on the, on the one-foot line, if they get one or two first downs, there the game's pretty much over and we went three you know we got him to go three and out and, and got out of that and got great field position back for the offense so I mean that's that's what I was really pleased with was just the way they stepped up and stiffened and, and, and did well down the stretch. Do you see anything out of Phil Parker's play calling defensively that looked different than Norm's? You know it's hard to it's hard to be in a system for 12 years and all of a sudden now you're given the reins and, and completely change everything. I mean, I, I think there's a there's a hint of he may want to be a little bit more aggressive uh, at times, but, um, you know, I guess when, when, when the game's on the line, you're going you, you know, to have memories of what worked in the past, and you're going to be going to that. 
So I, I think we'll see a lot of that during some of these close games. But I think during some of these other games, if I was able to get up 20, 25 points, you may see you, know, you may see a lot of different changes as far as uh, coverages and, and, and blitzes, blitz packages that we may try to bring on some more inexperienced quarterbacks. Special teams play was about as good as it's been in recent years. Yeah, you know, and it's I've I played in Soldier Field. It's a tough, it's a tough, quirky little stadium. And I, I say quirky, it's got incredible history. Don't don't mean I don't mean it that way. It's just but the wind the way the wind reacts on the lake is a very, very difficult environment to be a kicker, to be a punter, to be a special specialist as far as a return guy catching balls and stuff. So um, you know, so it, it is what it is and, and you know like I said ultimately I thought uh, you know our special teams did did the job and and did what we had to do. I mean, like I said, the, the, the four field goals, outstanding special team player of the week in the Big Ten, and then, um, you know, Castillo's play there, uh, getting the ball stopped before it went in the end zone right there at the end. I mean, they get the ball in the 20-yard line, they can do a ton of things offensively there at the end. Instead, they got to try to punch it out and try to create a first down with, with running the football from the one-foot line. And fortunately for us, when they punted, we got the ball basically on the 28-yard line, I think, uh, because of the field position battle there for, you know, down the punt inside the one-yard line. So huge, huge plus for Iowa. Saturday. Iowa State comes in with a veteran experienced team, another spread hurry up offense, a mobile quarterback. How do you think Iowa matches up with the Cyclones and how much improvement do you expect to see out of the Hawkeyes this Saturday? Tons. I mean, I truly expect to see a ton of improvement for Iowa. I think the one thing that they do do is they, they understand that they got to get better every week, and especially this group. I mean, there's a lot of, not a lot of big name guys. And, and Iowa, to me, has their best teams when they maybe don't have the, the, the blue chips or the the five-star guys, and I and I think this hopefully is a team that starts developing an identity that you know what well, we're going to have to play as a unit every time we go out and play. Uh, you know we have to play more physical than the other team, and if they can do that, you know I think they got a chance to continue to get really, really develop into a really good football team. So you know that being the case, Iowa State I, Coach Rhodes is doing an incredible job with that program. Uh, I think they definitely are on the upswing. I think you saw signs of them coming out flat and then improving every time they went out of the field. Uh, to coming back and winning against Tulsa it was a great win for them, an opening win. So, you know, you could see them getting better throughout the course of their game, and, and they'll improve as well. So uh, they've got, you know, I think a lot of confidence in, in the fact that, you know, last year they played extremely well and got the victory, and, and they'll come to Iowa City with the idea that that's what they're going to do again. So, I mean, Iowa better be ready, and, and I, I know Iowa State will be, and, and uh, it should make for a great, great setting in college football. Any particular keys to this game, and what's your prediction? Well, I mean, like anything else, I think, you know, Steel Jans, you got to keep him in the pocket. I mean, he's uh, he's a guy that if you let him get out of the pocket and, and uh, he can see the field and, and buy extra time for the receivers, he, he may have some problems. I think, uh, you know, I love the uh, the running back at Iowa State, the Woody guy. Uh, we got to make sure that he's getting one-yard runs versus four- and five-yard runs. And, and if, if we can keep him contained and, and not allow, like I said, Jans out of the pocket, I think we'll have a really good chance to uh, – you know, to, to come out and, and get a victory. If we don't do that, and, and offensively we don't get better and clean up some of the protection problems, that may be an issue. I mean, Coach Rhodes is a defensive genius. I mean, this guy came from Auburn. This guy knows how to attack offenses. Um, and so we're going to have to clean up a lot of those things that we've, you know, we had troubles with on Saturday and, uh, you know, be ready for some pressure defense coming from Iowa State because I think that, uh, you know, they'll be they'll be a lot more aggressive uh, than a lot of teams we play this year. Score? You know, that's a good question. I'm going to have to, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a close one. It's going to come down to a field goal. But I think uh, Iowa special teams, like we talked about earlier, are going to be a, a big strength for us. And, and uh, I think that'll be the difference uh, this Saturday. Where's your killer instinct, son? You gotta get angry! You gotta get mean! That's the only way you can play! Well, I guess I'm not really an angry person. <laughs> ah! Ah!
Are you angry now? Lynch pressure and loss of football covered by Iowa. Gaglione with the pressure knocked it loose. And Carl Davis was able to pounce on the football. Great pressure from Gaglione on the outside. He gets the forced fumble. And there's the big man, Carl Davis, all 310 pounds, sets up his offense in the red zone inside the 15-yard line. Great effort on the outside by Gaglione. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes stories Stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. And listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Bromel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. And broadcast school has really paid off. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ESPNU for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.